0: I've been looking forward to this weekend for some time. I've had the privilege of spending some time with our speaker Dr. Gerald Robinson, in the past. He has visited and uh, spoken at uh, other churches that I have had the opportunity to serve. He's a tremendously gifted speaker with a piercing and powerful message and yet at the same time while that is true uh, he'll make you laugh so you won't feel any of the pain, uh, at least until later. Uh, Gerald is a former pastor, having served churches in the United States, in Australia, in the Netherlands. He serves with Unveiling Glory, which is the overarching ministry from which the Cat and Dog Theology Seminar comes. And he is one of the top teachers and has been for over 30 years now with Walk Through the Bible Ministries. As I said, I've been excited about having him come and sharing his message. And in a few moments, you'll understand why. It'll be a little different than what we normally do, so those of you who are uptight about it, you'll get over it. <laughs> those of you who are looking for it, sorry, uh, this, is, this is it. This is today is how we'll be presented. but uh, nevertheless, the message that he proclaims is one that resonates with what we also want to proclaim, that God would receive praise and glory. Let me pray for us and for Gerald, and then I'll turn it over to him. Our Father, we do come at this time to commend, uh, commit ourselves to learning and considering you. We sing your praises, but we can do that without really thinking of you. But this time that we commit ourselves to considering what your word has revealed, uh, Lord, we do that now for our betterment and, and for your glory. But we do pray to you, for we can labor with all of our efforts and it would uh, do us no good, except that your grace by your spirit opens our minds and our hearts to receive what is true about you and even what's true of us. I pray for this congregation that we would open ourselves and yield ourselves to what your spirit would speak through Gerald. And I pray that your spirit would be poured out upon him, that he may speak not only the words that he knows and the message that he has delivered, but that he would speak your truth through your power. We pray in the name of Christ, who is the word incarnate, whom we long to see. That as we consider your word, Lord, we may see your glory. Amen.
1: Thank you. Now, Pastor Dennis has had me at three different, this is the third different church I've been to with you, and I'm so grateful that he invites me to come, but I don't know if he invites, if he takes me with him when he goes somewhere or if I'm the reason he has to leave and go someplace else. I, I don't know. Time will tell, perhaps. Um, We're going to talk today about cat and dog theology. Now, I know this is your missions conference. You're not going to hear the word mission very often at all. You probably count it on one hand this morning. But it's because we're laying a foundation. Tonight, if you'll come back, I hope to show you missions in a way you have never seen it before. In fact, I'm going to show you what we call the missing half of your Bible. We're going to go back to Bible stories you grew up with. Stories like David and Goliath, uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den, very, very familiar stories. But we're going to show you the half of the story you were probably never told. And I really, really encourage you to come back. If you're doubtful, if you don't do missions, if you don't like missions, just give me 15 minutes. If you don't see something new, different, creative, and God calling you to something, in those 15 minutes, I'll open the door for you and you can go home. Okay? But tonight's going to be really important. We're going to start off, though, this morning with this stuff called Cat and Dog Theology. Now, our ministry is really called Unveiling Glory. And the idea behind that name is that God's glory is around us everywhere, all the time. It's in everything. It's just that, well, we don't pay a whole lot of attention. For instance, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Good. Now, some of you are answering. Some of you are hesitating. Let me include you in. The better you answer, the more energetically you do it, the more excited I become. The more excited I become, the faster I talk. The faster I talk, the better the odds are you're going to get out on time. Okay? Understood? All right. Now, so God's glory is, is where? The Bible says, the heavens declare the? the glory of God. Which means you ought to be able to walk out, see the moon, hanging up on nothing at nighttime and think, Wow, that's pretty cool. Great work, God. But the truth is, we'll see the moon, we don't think about God. We can see the sun 93 million miles away, we don't get excited about God. We can see an elephant at the zoo or a zebra somewhere, we don't get excited about God. We see cool stuff, we just don't get our attention turned toward God. It's as though Satan has put a veil over it, so we see the stuff, but not God. Our job is to unveil it so that you do begin to see and get excited, once again, about God. But let me tell you what I've learned about Americans. The reason we're in the predicament that we are, we have a cultural attitude. I call it the American cultural attitude or our goal in life. And it goes something like this, if you were to put our life on a timeline, you know we're born in time and somewhere out there we're going to die. And the objective of almost every American I know is to get from birth to death in the safest, softest, easiest, and most comfortable fashion possible. Is that true or false? Pretty true. Okay. Now, I, I, see my, I see one head bobbing up and down a lot. That's my daughter. She's right here. My daughter, she's very enthusiastic listener. My wife is right here. My grandson to her side. My granddaughter, my daughter, and her son-in-law, Tim. So, I hope you'll make them feel welcome a little bit later. Now, here's the American attitude. That's it, isn't it? Safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. That's the way we want life to be. Yes, no, maybe Yes? All right, good. I'll keep going. All right. Every now and then, though, there's a trial. There's an adversity, a tragedy, a crisis. Something happens that's not pleasant. So as an American, as an American Christian, we ask God to give us that good stuff and take away the bad stuff. True or false? True True or false. Now, would you describe a life lived like that as one that's lived for themselves or a life that's lived for God? (laughs) Themselves. (laughs) Yeah. But see, if I had started five minutes ago by asking... Are you Christians? Uh-huh. Do you live your life for God? Uh-huh. But now when we analyze it and evaluate it, we think, hmm, maybe not as much as I thought I did. What's going on? Well, we call this cat theology. If you've never heard of it before, that's because we made it up. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means I need to explain it, and that's what I'm going to do over the next little while. What I've learned is there's a cancer creeping into the American church. It's a cancer that will actually kill the church and the life of the church if we don't, as Barney Fife says, nip it in the bud. Right? Now, I know about cancer. Let me tell you. My wife and I have had to deal with it. I, a year and five months ago, I was told I had tongue cancer, tongue cancer. You hear about lots of cancers, you don't hear about that one. There's no billboard, there's nobody out taking up money to collect for tongue cancer. You know? There's not even a little colored ribbon for it, there's nothing. Uh, But, see, it's it's pretty serious when you make your living talking. And so the doctor said, said, you're just going to take it out, right? He says, we're going to have to remove much of the left side of your tongue. What? Yeah, it's got to come out. I can talk, can't I? We'll see. Now, when I came out of surgery, they said, we were able to graft in to your tongue some tongue material to help with the healing process. What is tongue material? Material from a tongue. Where do you get material from a tongue? Cadaver. Dead guy? Yeah, he said he wasn't using it anymore. Now, they didn't tell me if it was a man or a woman. I just noticed I talk a lot more. <laughs> they won't invite me back. Right? And I don't know if, it, if whoever it was, man or woman, I don't know if they were Christian or not. So if I say anything offensive, it's the other guy talking. <laughs> right? Now, the problem was they had to cut it out or it would have killed me. I would not be here today. My wife would be a widow at this point. Okay. Now, unless we cut out this cancer we're going to call cat theology from the church, it can kill the life of what the church is all about. I'm going to start today by asking you a very simple question. very simple question about this book, the book we call the Bible. Real simple question. Who is the main character of this book? Quick, you're going to say... God. Everybody usually does, and that's a real good guess. Maybe it is all about God, but there's another possibility. Maybe the book is all about us, people, humanity. You're thinking, no, I don't think so. I think it's the God answer. I know you think that. I know you think you believe that, but just because you think you believe it doesn't mean you really do. Your belief is determined by your actions, not by your words or what you've been taught to say. See, if there's a new movie coming out starring uh, Johnny Depp, might be my wife or my daughter, they'll perk up and say, oh, oh, we need to go to the movies. Why? Well, they're going to see who? Johnny Depp. All right. And when the movie starts and the curtain parts, you know, and the film begins to roll, and if there's any swashbuckling or swinging from one pirate ship to another, they're looking for who? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, yeah, because he's the star of the movie. Now watch If God's the star, if he's the main character of this book, then as I read the stories and turn the pages, who should I be looking for? God. I ought to be asking questions like, where's God in this? What does God get out of this? How does God benefit from this? What does God get? But that's not the way I was trained to read and teach or study my Bible. I was trained to read and teach and preach and to study for personal application. Oh, yeah, you know what that is, right? That's when you get to the end of the lesson, you think, now we have to ask the question, what does this mean to me? What am I going to get out of this? And see, see, it's a very subtle shift, but it's a very real shift. We just became the main character. The verses we highlight, the verses we mark and notate are the verses about how God's going to love us, how he's going to take care of us, how he's going to bless us, how he died for us, how he's going to live for us, how he's going to get us into heaven, how he's building a place for us. It's all about us. And it distorts the way we even answer questions about God. So I'm going to make a bold statement getting started, and it goes like this. God is the main character of the Bible, and he lives to radiate his glory. But while the average Christian today will say that God's the main character, we tend to live our lives trying to get from birth to death, safe, soft, easy, and comfortably. We tend to read our Bible, marking you know, it all about us, all about us, and prayer our prayers, God do this, take care of this, and give me that. Thank you very much. Amen. So we tend to live our lives, read our Bible, and pray our prayers as if we are the main character. And as a result, we don't live our life for God. We live from birth to death, trying to get from one to the other as safe and soft and easy and comfortable as possible, and we don't want anything to interfere with that, even if it means God's will. Hmm. Why do we do that? Because we've got a filter somewhere down inside our heart, brain, spirit. It's what I call the what do I get or what do people get instant filter. And it works like this. Whatever I hear, whatever I listen to, whatever I read, it's got to come out being about me or at least us. And if it's not, I'm going to be bored. Let me, let me show you what I mean. If I were to begin reading the Bible, right where God starts reading the Bible and teaching the Bible, right Genesis 1-1, if I were to begin reading and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. The light he called day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And then God said, Now, yeah, we're only in verse 5. Going into verse 6. If I were to keep reading, I know what happens. I've done it. By the time I get to verse 13, people are starting to fade away. Their attention's going elsewhere. By the time I get to verse 18, you're thinking, Is he going to read the whole chapter? Why? This is so... And the next word usually starts with a B. This is so... You could have said beautiful. <laughs> could have. Nobody does. We always say what? Boring. Now, that raises the question, why is the very first thing God says to us boring? Answer, because it's not about us. We don't even show up until the last five verses of that chapter. We don't. To be truthful, many of us don't get excited until you get to Genesis chapter 3 when man and woman fall into sin, and then we think, oh, now we have something to live for. Okay. <laughs> Let me give you two examples of how this begins to affect our, our, our theology and the way we live for God. If somebody were to come into the room and say, why did Jesus Christ come to the earth? The usual answer we give is what? Came to die on the cross and save us from our sins. All right. Now, is that a people-centered answer or a God-centered? The way to find out is determine who gets something. Do we get anything out of Jesus dying on the cross and saving us from our sin? Yeah. We get a lot of stuff. We've been forgiven of our sin. We've been adopted into God's family. We've been justified. We're being sanctified. We're going to be glorified. We're going to get to walk on streets of gold in heaven. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts. Wow. We get a lot of stuff. And isn't that the way we sometimes share Jesus with somebody who's not a believer? Look, if you become a Christian, look at all the neat stuff you're going to get. And in a sense, we try to bribe them into the kingdom. If I can show you enough cool, neat, good stuff. Will you sign up and be a Christian? Well, if God's the main character, God ought to get something. That's right. Well, what does God get out of Jesus' death? Oh, we, we have an answer for that. You ready? It goes through our filter and we say, He gets us. <laughs> wow, what a prize. You ever get to the bottom of the Cracker Jacks and get the prize and you're disappointed? I wonder if God looks at me sometimes and says, Oh, it's you. <laughs> well, yeah, he does get us, but does he get something more? Yes. What does he get? He gets glory, honor, praise, worship, obedience. God gets to bring all of creation into its complete purpose. It's just that we don't, we don't tend to talk about that. Why? Not about us. So we're not too interested. Let me give you another quick example. What if somebody said, what is your church's primary reason for doing evangelism and missions? We'd say, oh, oh, I know, I know. We don't want people to suffer. We don't want people to go to hell or be cast away from God. Okay, that's a good reason. Um, But is that a people-centered reason or a God-centered reason? To save people so people don't suffer, so people... People. People reason. Well, David had a different attitude. David said, what gain is there in my destruction? What good is it if to live my life and then die, go into the grave... Who's going to be around to praise you, God? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? At that point, David seemed far more concerned about God not being praised than he was worried about himself dying. Dying is secondary. What's the bigger factor? Praising God. Yeah, but that's David. He was kind of like that, you know? Yeah, but it's supposed to be all of us. But we're not. Why? What's going on? Well. Let's take a quick look at Jesus. Did Jesus focus primarily on us or on his father? Now, right now, you know what answer to give me because of the way we're talking. But let me do this differently. How many people here went to Sunday school as a child? What was the first song you learned? Jesus loves who? Me. Me. Oh, that's a good song. (laughs) Who's going to get something out of that? I like it. And the first Bible verse you probably had to memorize was John 3.16. For God so loved who? Oh, that's us too. Isn't this Christianity great? It's all about us and what God's going to do for us and how what we're going to get. Oh, it's good, good, good. Do you understand that if we're not careful, perhaps in the way we teach our children, while we didn't mean to do it, we certainly didn't plan on doing it, if we're not careful, do you think it's possible we might... Give our children the impression that Christianity is all about them and what they're going to get from God and how God's job is to keep them safe and soft and easy and comfortable. Paul tells us why Christ came. Sounds a little bit different from what I heard growing up. Paul said, I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Now, just get a handle on it. That's the way Paul talks. He uses a bunch of words when he could have just said, Jesus came. So that. Now, it's important stuff, but he came so that, so that what? So that the Gentiles, now who are the Gentiles? Us. Oh, good. We ought to pay attention. Here's an us verse. You ready? He came so that us, so that we could do what? Does it say, do you think it says, Jesus came so the Gentiles might not go to hell? Say no. 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 Doesn't say that. But it sounds pretty good. That's the gospel the way I heard it all my life. That's the way i preached it for so many years. Well, preacher, it sounds pretty good. I know. That's not what the Bible says. What it says is, he came so the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Uh Oh, okay. When you put those words in there, who gets something out of it? God. When you put God in at the end of it like that, who's the main character? God. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, the scripture goes on. It says, now, right before Jesus died, if you want to know who was primarily on the mind and the heart of Christ, we ought to look right here. The night before he went to the cross, he said, now, my heart is troubled. Uh Let's pause. Why was his heart troubled? Well, he's going to die, preacher. Yes, he is. And it's going to be on a cross. That's pretty gruesome. Yes, it was. But there's more to it. The Bible goes on to say that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Do you understand the very nature of Jesus? The very thing that made him what he is and the antithesis or the opposite of it. The very opposite of his nature that is holy, and he is about to become. That he who knew no sin, he became accursed for us. And the God of the Scripture says that he who is so holy, the Father in his holiness, cannot even look upon sin. That when Christ became a curse, when he took that sin upon himself, he became sin. The Father turns his face and the Son cries out, My God! My God! Why have you... Amen. You understand that for the first time and. In- only time in all eternity, the Father and the Son were about to be momentarily separated. The very thing that he despised, he's about to become. I think as bad and as gruesome as the cross was, this was even worse. he says, what am I going to say, Father? Am I going to say, don't make me do it, Father, to save me from this hour, no, don't make me do it? He says, no. It was for this very reason. Jesus understands. This is why I'm here. This is why I came. I'm going to the cross. The Father will turn his back. This is why I'm doing it. Then he goes on. Father, I'll do it if you do this one thing for me. It's like he asked a favor. Father, I'll take all that if you do this. Father. Now, did he say, Father, save these kind, wonderful, worthy people from hell. They don't deserve it. Do you remember reading that in the Bible? Say no. No, it's not there. Because he didn't say that. Well, then what did he say? I'm glad you asked. What he said was, Father, I'll do this. I'll let them... I'll let them curse my name. I'll let them spit on me. I'll let them take the crown of thorns and put it on my head. I'll let them take the nails and pierce my hands and pierce my feet. I'll let them take the sword and thrust it in my side until my very lifeblood flows out. I'll die there on the cross like a criminal amongst other thieves. And I will have your face turned against me. Even though I don't want it, I'll become the very thing that I hate. Father, if you do this one thing. Father, glorify your name. Who seems to be primarily on the heart of Christ as he faces the most agonizing moment of eternity? Us or the Father? The Father. Jesus loved and died for the glory of the Father. Oh, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I thought Jesus loves me this I know, but the Bible tells me so. You're right. On one hand, Jesus loves me this I know, the Bible tells me so. On the other hand, he died for the Father's glory. On one hand, he loved me and died for me. On the other hand, it was all about the Father. Well, now, which one is it? Both. So they're equal? No. He loved me and died for me. I think he puts them in a priority like this. He loved me, he died for me so that, so that we can do what? Glorify the Father. See, in our sinful state, we don't want the Father. We don't want God. We just want the blessings from God. God, bless me. Make my life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. If you do that, maybe I'll come to you and I'll praise you. And I'll sing to you. And I'll give to you. But what I really want is to have a nice life and get into heaven. Our goal is heaven. Christ says, no, the goal is the glory of the Father. I will take you there. I'll go and prepare a place for you. So that from there, you can do that. This is the goal. That is the glory. Now, depending upon who your main character is, as you read your Bible, you're going to have one of two different types of theology, either cat or dog theology. Now, this is where the fun begins, okay? But I need to let you know up front, I am not a dog hater. I am not a cat hater, okay? Now, I had a dog. I loved it. We had a cat. I loved it. Right now, we don't have either one. I love it. (laughs) Got it? All right. Now, whether you've owned one or not, you know cats and dogs are different. Dogs are friendly, helpful, loyal, brave, kind, obedient. Cats, not so much. Okay, uh, dogs, whenever you come home, they're excited, their tail wags, their ears perk up, they run over to you, they jump up and down, if they can talk, they say, wow, I'm so glad to see you. Cats, not so much. Dogs, you can train them. You can go tell them this, do this, go that. They go do it. Cats, not so much. Okay, cats are there for themselves. Dogs are there for you. Now, cats and dogs are—they're they're so different from each other. There's a joke about the way they think, about the way they have an outlook on life. For instance, a dog can look at all that you do for it, and he'll say, "You know, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me," and so he concludes, "Wow, you must be God." And on the other hand, a cat can look at the same information. They'll say, "You feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me. Wow." I must be (laughs) God. Does anybody here own a cat? No, you don't. No. No. No, you think you do, but in their mind, in the cat's mind, you are the servant. Dogs have masters. Cats have servants. They have staff. You're a staff member. Get used to it. Okay? All right? Now, the joke's going to help us understand the way Christians think about God. There are some Christians who look at all that God's done, all that he's made, and they think, wow, you're awesome, you're a God. And there are other Christians who look at only what God's done for them, how he's going to bless them, how he's going to promise them, what he's going to do for them. And they think, wow, I must be, now wait, wait. I don't know anybody that will say, I must be God. They don't say that. But what they do say as they live their lives, read their Bible, and pray their prayers is, it's all about us. Now, it's hard to tell who's a cat and who's a dog. Why? Because they are both Christians. They both go to church. they both give their life to, to Christ. They both have quiet times. They both pray. They both seek after God. They both look and act like a Christian. If you ask them, are you a Christian? Uh-huh. But their heart may be very different from what God really wants. The difference is in the heart attitude. It's not in the outward stuff. We're going to take a few minutes to look at some of the heart differences between cats and dogs. For instance, a cat cat Christian and a dog Christian, they have different motivations for heaven. If we put hell over here on this side of the platform, and and somebody's close to it, uh, in our usual evangelistic and love of Jesus fervor, we say things like, You're going to go to hell! And they think, Oh, I don't want to go to hell. Hell, no thank you, don't want that. Hell, no! to hell i don't want that no thank you well jesus saves oh well then i want jesus why because i don't want hell did they just become a christian yes did they become a christian for a people-centered self-preservation reason or for a god-centered reason self-preservation dogs are very different dogs look at god in his majesty and glory and full of truth and beauty and all they wow I want to be with him. And there's a difference between not wanting hell and wanting God. Very, very different. In fact, the Bible goes on to put it in the form of a parable. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Why would anybody sell everything they worked for, saved for, strived for, and maybe even prayed for it? only one reason I can think of they're going to get something that's worth more than what they've already got make sense? here's the problem we've told people that the treasure is the blessings from God that is not true the treasure is God himself let me tell you the difference in a cat and a dog, you can kick a dog and he'll yelp and run away But he'll come back, and he'll lay at your feet and be glad to be with you. He's there for you. A cat, will they come when they want something? Will they meow to you when they want to be fed? Do they sit in your lap when they want to be stroked? It's all about what you're going to do for them, and that's the only time they come around. And there are so many Christians who think God's job is to make sure we have a life that's safe and soft and easy and comfortable. And when it's not, we're going to gripe, we're going to complain, we're going to accuse. God, I don't even think you're there. God, you're not doing your God job very well. God, I had stinky stuff happen in my life, and you let it happen. God's job is not to make our life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. He created us for his glory, and he loves us, and he hurts every time we do, and every time we go through stinky stuff, he's there to make sure it's not stinkier, and he sees us on the other side. Do you know any, let me ask you, do you know any joyless Christians? Now, don't stand up and point at anybody, but,
0: <laughs> uh,
1: Uncle Bob over here, yeah? <laughs> I can see Uncle Bob. He sings that song. I've got that joy, 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 joy. Where? It's so far down, we can't find it in Uncle Bob. Yeah. Well, how can you be a Christian and not have joy? Is it possible? Absolutely. But we don't understand that very well. See, when I, beca- I was a very young child when I became a Christian. And, and people would say, you're a Christian. I said, uh-huh. And they said, you're, you're going to go to heaven. Uh-huh. You're not going to go to hell. Uh-uh. Then you have joy, don't you? Okay. Now, admittedly, I felt good. You feel good about avoiding hell. You feel good about going to heaven. And feeling good, that ranks pretty high on my scale. But joy, I think that's up here. And I always knew there was something more that I didn't have that the Bible kept talking about. And people kept talking about it. And they said I had it, but I knew I didn't. (coughs) And you can't tell them, no, I don't have that. You're you're a Christian? Uh Uh-huh. You're not going to go to hell? Uh Uh-uh. You are going to go to heaven? Uh Uh-huh. Then you have joy? No. What do you mean, no? Let's go over that list again. You got joy? No. How can you be a Christian and not have joy? If you don't have the treasure, you're not going to have joy. You can avoid hell all you want. That does not give you joy. Well, then what does it give you? Relief. Really? Mm -hmm. Let me explain. A guy had me in his car. We're ripping down the highway about 75 miles an hour. Somebody in the middle of the lane wanted to be in our lane. They started coming over. We must have been in their blind spot because they kept coming. After I saw them. Uh, they weren't in my blind spot. I'm pulling on the car door trying to get the car smaller so they could get in. No. And the car kept going. They were getting closer and closer. I look over at the driver. The concrete walls whizzing by his side of the car at 70 miles an hour. And I, I, what are we going to do? He pulled into that thin emergency lane. Let off the gas pedal. Our car slowed down. The other car sped up. Went on by. We pulled back into traffic. They gave her the gas, and off we went. And I went, Whew. When I went, Whew. is that relief or joy? It's relief. I was just saved from something very, very bad. And the proper response is relief. It's not joy. Yeah, but we're talking about hell. I know. That's pretty bad. That's real bad. What do you get? Real relief. Well, how do you get real joy? It's not found by avoiding something bad. Well, then how do you get it? 41 years ago, I proposed marriage to that lady right there. After much convincing, she finally said yes. I slipped a diamond ring onto her hand. It glimmered. It shimmered. It sparkled. It blinged. And she had great relief or joy. And you better get this right because she's sitting here. Which one was it? great joy why because she received a treasure I thought it was me it was a rock (laughs) you see so many have never received God as the treasure they've never found real joy oh they're feeling good not going to hell but joy seems to escape them they got their fire insurance but that doesn't guarantee joy What about when it comes to obedience? Now, this is interesting, both cats and dogs want obedience. In fact, they both go to obedience school. (laughs) Dogs go to learn to obey the master, cats go to have the master learn to obey them. And in a similar way, dog Christians want people to obey God, cat Christians want God to obey people. Now, they'll never say that. If you confront them with the idea, they'll say, no, I don't believe that, but they do. How do you know? Listen to their prayers. God, do this, take care of this, watch over this, give me that. Thank you very much. Amen. It's all about God, go do things. Here's my list. Go do. And we base our praise to God on how well he did those things, don't we? I just want to praise God this week because I asked God to do this, give me that, and take care of this. And he did praise God. He obeyed me. Ladies and gentlemen, our praise so much is said on what God did that we told him to do instead of who he is. We've lost the real meaning of praise. Let's get another one. How about when it comes to having quiet time? Oh, cats and dogs both have a quiet time. What's a dog thinking during his quiet time when he's alone with God? If he could sing a song, we thought it might sound like this. Glory to God in the highest. Glory, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. He's probably thinking, God, how can I radiate your glory and work? How can I show your glory to my neighbors and my family? Oh God. It's just about you and your glory. I want to live for that. That's gonna be great. That's terrific. But what if you're a cat? Well, do cats have quiet time? Oh yes. Are they singing a song? Oh yes. Same one? Oh no. What song would they sing? Well, we thought it might sound like this. I'm talking about me. Mine. Me. Oh, I love having quiet talking times. About me. I love being the center of your attention, God. Oh, yeah, Lord.
0: Talking Pet me, me. here. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah, right that's there, right. God. Scratch oh, me hallelujah. right there. Cat. Me. I love yeah. this song. And, God. Here's a list of how you can best bless and this
1: and this, me. and
0: then and this. I'll tell you how I, I want, want to serve you, God. Nothing hard, of course. I don't do stuff. Just suffer, the easy God. stuff. Your glory? What? Why? Why? No, no, later, Lord. Let's get back to my list first. It's
1: about me, God. Don't really care what, you want. what I like, what I want,
0: don't really, really care what you want.
1: Well, that's convicting. Let's just change the subject, okay? (laughs) Uh, How about when it comes to blessings and responsibility? They get their priorities all mixed up. A cat doesn't mind God being taken out of the government and off of public places. Oh, but when the terrorists attack, they'll hurry back to church, hold hands and sing, God bless America. Yeah, we're happy to live without God until we need him. Wouldn't it be refreshing to see a bumper sticker instead of saying, God bless America. Wouldn't it be great if there was one that said, America, bless God. Live for God. See, the the priorities of a cat get mixed up. In dog theology, dogs have two desires. A desire to see God glorified and a desire to be blessed. They're both there. But notice their desire to see God glorified is bigger than, stronger than, and greater than their desire to be blessed. This is why the early church... They could suffer martyrdom. They could be stoned. They could be crucified. They could be burned at the stake. They could be willing to be thrown to the lions as long as God was going to get glory out of it. Life didn't have to be safe and soft and easy and comfortable. In cat theology, there are two desires. Same ones. A desire to be blessed and a desire to see God glorified. But their desire to be blessed is bigger than, stronger than, and greater than their desire to see God glorified. This is why if you ask a cat, we're going to go on a mission trip. Can you give some money? Oh, I'd like to, but I don't have enough right now. Now, if you could read behind those thoughts is there are things that I have here down at the store that I'm saving up my money for. And it's stuff that's going to make my life a little safer, a little softer, a little easier, a little more comfortable. And I can't get that and do support you too. We're going to go on a mission trip. Where are you going? Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan? Yeah, we want to know if you'll go with us. Go with you. Is it safe? Soft, easy? What kind of food do they have? Do they have a drive-thru? Do they have McDonald's? Do they have plumbing indoors? How, see, now they answer the question whether or not they'll go based on how far outside the comfort zone you're going to ask them to go. Why do we even have cat theology? Satan doesn't want anybody anywhere seeing any aspect of God's glory. But he's got a problem when Christians have the word of God and they can see it, when they can look around and see God's glory in the trees and the birds and the animals and the the stars up in the sky. How's he going to stop you from thinking about it? I'm not sure what the theology or his strategy was, but it kind of, I thought it might sound something like this. It's like he's got a deck of cards, and he's going to play a game of cards with people all around the world. To some, he deals them, them a hand of a false religion. To others, a vain philosophy. But what's he going to do about those Christians? <sighs> oh, how? How can I keep those Christians from focusing on God's glory? Oh. They'll never go for straight Satan worship. False religions? No. No, they'll see, they'll no, they'll see, they'll see right through that one. Now, mm. 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 which card oh, shall I create for them? I, which I know. Yes. I'll switch their focus, yes. focus. I'll switch I'll their focus, focus. to something safe. Something close to God's heart. <laughs> but take the focus off of his his (laughs) glory. I'll make them think it's all about them. Them,
0: yes. It's all about them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Them, yes. Now, was that his strategy? I don't know. Does it sound like one that would work? I think so. Does it sound like one that could be at work? I think so. It's all about us being blessed. All that's happened is cats became primary. God's glory became secondary. What God set up like this, we shifted the values around like that. You see, dogs have a theology. Root word is theo. It means God. They're God-focused. They're God-centered. They're God-thinking. Cats, cats are not God-centered. They're not theology. They have a meology. That's why cats say me Ow. Tonight, the jokes get worse, okay? Now, have you noticed a theme? Cats are basically living for themselves in a Christian context. They're wondering, how can I best get from birth to death in the safest, softest, easiest, most comfortable fashion possible? How can I do it and avoid the trial, the tragedy, the crisis, and the adversity? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll become a Christian. And I'll ask God to give me the good stuff and keep away the bad stuff, and I'll grade him on how well he does that. Now wait, have we seen that before? Yes. When? About a half hour ago. Except then it was about Americans in general. Now we're talking about cat Christians. I want you to understand, I want you to see something. The purpose for which cat Christians live is not significantly different from an unbeliever. They just use God to get what they want. The difference in a cat and a dog is in the heart attitude. Dogs are different because they know one key thing about life, and that is it's not about us. For by him, that's God, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were made by him and for him. All of life is for God. And it was all made by his will. Or as we learned in the last hour, it was done for his pleasure. He made you the way you are because he liked it. And he made you the way you are, not only because he liked it, but for his glory. You. Ah. I hope that's going to make a little more sense. All of life is for God. Tonight, when we come back in the evening, I'm going to show you the missing half of this book. The stories that you were told, and you were told some good stuff about it. But there's probably half the story you were never told. And we're going to bring up the topic of missions in a way you may never have ever seen it before. I hope we'll see you back then.